Our Old Testament text tonight is Genesis 25. Genesis chapter 25, reading the whole chapter, this is the Word of God. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Maiden, Midian, Ishbak, Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leumim, and the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jeter, Nephish, and Kedemah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their, their names, by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes, according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I, li- why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. 
Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And our New Testament reading tonight is from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom According to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor nor having done anything good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau... I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. Thanks be to God for his word. You pray with me. Lord, we bow before you and ask your blessing on your word now. That you take this word, you open our hearts, that you plant the word there deep. Lord, let our hearts be the good soil. Let your word take root. And bear much fruit. Let not the cares and concerns of life choke it out. Let our hearts not be the shallow soil, but, Lord, the good soil. And, Lord, may we bear fruit a hundredfold for the glory of Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The covenant of grace uh, uh, can look so fragile at times. On the, on the one hand, you have threats outside the covenant. Uh, rejection of God's people or persecution we see it here in, in, in Genesis 25. You see these two lines being compared and contrasted. Ishmael's line, so fruitful, um, and, and, and line of promise in comparison, so weak, so, so, so alone. Um, and we can also look, not just in the text, but we look around us, right? 
How's, how's the covenant people of God doing in this world? It seems like the enemies are increasing. It seems like rejection's increasing. It seems like to be a Christian who takes God at His word, takes Him seriously, and tries to walk in obedience to what He calls us to, you're becoming completely out of step more and more with, um, with the culture around us. And more ex- you're going to expose yourself to being made fun of, and you're going to be uh, rejected for certain things. And if, and if it's this bad in our generation, just think about our poor kids grandkids, great-grandkids, what's it going to be like for them? Threats on the outside. Covenant people looks fragile. There are also threats on the inside, too. Maybe even greater threats. Sin inside our own hearts. Sin inside the the church, among the people of God. You raise your children, you, you want them to follow the Lord and the fear of the Lord, but then sin gets to work and they fall away. Um, sin in your own life threatens to pull you off the path of faithfulness to Christ. Right? We're, we're, we're fighting. We're going against the grain. Right? Um, uh, we're, we're pushing the rock uphill, and so it just seems like uh, how, how can this project succeed um, with enemies without enemies within? How can the covenant of grace possibly go on in the face of so much sin and opposition? What do we do? Genesis 25 is really honing in on some of these questions and addressing them and, and uh, teaches us here four lessons uh, about this. Number one is this. Invest in the line of promise. Invest in the line of promise. Verses 1 through 6 here. Um, verse 1 tells us that Abraham takes another wife. So Sarah, Sarah has died, and now he takes another wife. We're not told anything about her beyond her name, Keturah. Um, but we do see the Lord blessing Abraham um, with more children. He gets six sons listed here. Um, and, and also some of their, the, the sons' sons are listed as well. So it's, it's a partial fulfillment of God's promise. He's going to make Abraham the father of many nations. Of course, the, the big fulfillment of that is Christ's gospel to the world. But it's also here a little piece of this fulfillment, a, a picture of this fulfillment in um, in, in these children that he's having by Keturah. But all these children raises a question for the drama here in the, in the text. Um, are they going to share in the blessing with Isaac? He's having other sons. Are they going to try to split up the inheritance? Are they going to lessen the value of what Isaac's going to receive? Are they going to vie for first place with him? Compete with him? So, so in one sense, we can see them as a fulfillment of sorts to God's promise to make Abraham a great nation. Um, and in the other sense, you can also see they're a threat to God's people of promise. Um, remember this before with, with Ishmael. Abraham is, is, it seems to have been hanging on to Ishmael a bit. Um, um, didn't, didn't want to let him go. Um, he loved him as his own son. But Ishmael became a threat to the covenant line, uh, the, the chosen uh, son of Isaac. And so Abraham had to send him away. And that was God's, uh, God's design, God's will that he send him away. Um, so the Lord, the Lord had him do that. It was a hard thing for Abraham to do, but now it seems he's learned his lesson. Uh, uh, God, God has taught him that lesson. Now he, it says that um, the Lord is not, uh, we're not, uh, no record here of the Lord prompting Abraham to do this. He just, he does it. He knows that in order to preserve Isaac's inheritance and his place in the covenant, these other sons need to be sent away. So he sends them away from Isaac, his son. Gives them gifts, sends them away, but it's away from Isaac, the text tells us in verse, 
verse 6. And verse 5 tells us that he gives, Abraham gives Isaac all that he has. So there's no question for us. Isaac's the son. Isaac's going to inherit it, and it's going to be protected and safe. Abraham's doing all this. He knows he's getting old. Um, he knows he's going to die soon. And that God's purposes are bigger than him. And they're going to go on after him. And um, so he's showing his commitment to the next generation of God's covenant family. See? He, he's, um, he's taking responsibility to do whatever he can to ensure that God's promises and God's blessings are communicated to the next generation of this covenant family. What should we learn here um, about the importance of passing on the faith to the next generation? Uh, a time's going to come when we're not there to teach them anymore, um, when it will be their job to carry the, 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 the faith forward, to teach their children. And, and, and all it takes right, is one link in that chain from generation to generation to fail in their job of passing on the faith, right, and it's broken. Um, in the novel The Road by uh, Cormac McCarthy, there are these two, the two main characters are a father and a son. It's a post-apocalyptic uh, novel. Everything's devastated. It's a bleak, harsh, godless world, uh, empty of any goodness, it seems. And the father has this one goal. His goal is to keep himself and his son alive, his young son. Uh, but the goal is also for him to, to maintain some kind of vestige of goodness in this harsh, cruel, cold world. And, and throughout the, the novel, he's, he's trying to keep this going uh, in himself and in his son. He's trying to pass it on to his son. And um, he keeps telling his son, we're, we're carrying the fire. Carry, carry the fire. That's kind of the, the thing. And then at the end of the novel, he's dying. And he tells his son, carry the fire. Right? Keep, keep the goodness alive. Right? Keep going. Don't give up. Even though everything else around you looks bleak and hopeless. Keep doing the right thing. Um, but that's, that's a bit of what's going on here in the text. Um, Deuteronomy 6 teaches us the same lesson. Deuteronomy 6 is that great, it's sort of the Apostles' Creed of the Old Testament, right? The, the great creed, the basic foundational truth of, uh, of the covenant people in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the very next words in that creed are, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Uh, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Right? God, God is building in there right in Deuteronomy 6. He says, here's the truth, and now have it in your heart, and now be constantly teaching the next generation the truth. All the time, in the car, on the road, when you get home, when you leave home, when you lie down at night, when you wake up in the morning, have the word of God and the, the, the truth of this faith. Have it, have it, have it soak through everything you're doing. Um, isn't that what many of us, our parents did? Um, I can remember driving uh, with my mom on the way to school, and she'd be... We'd be working on our catechism on the way to school, or we'd be memorizing scripture on the way to school, or, or we'd be doing our prayer time on the way to school, or learning a hymn together on the way to school. Right? This, this, uh, and she would talk about this, Deuteronomy 6.4, do it on your, uh, as, as you go. Um, and I remember my father's prayers at mealtimes. Right? He, he would, as a kid, sit in there, you're hungry, and he, he would keep on praying, keep on praying. 
um, right? And all, of, all of that, right? And then the, the, the family, family, time of family worship or parents reading the Bible stories before bedtime, all of that, right? Building over a lifetime. Working it into your heart and your imagination, your mind as, as a child. Um, I can remember Sunday school teachers. Sa- same thing, right? Over the, I don't remember one particular lesson, but, but over the years, all of it getting worked in to my heart and mind as a, as, a, as a child in the church. Men's breakfast, youth group, right? All these ways, sermons, conversations with, with elders at church. Right? So all these ways over the, over the years, people doing this and, and investing in the next generation. Um, all, all of this matters so much. Um, being, a, being a mother or a father and faithfully doing family worship even if sometimes it seems like you're just hovering over the edge of chaos. It's worth it. Um, if, if, you're, uh, if you're teaching Sunday school just to the little kids, and they're not going to remember by next week what the lesson was, it, it's still worth it because uh, you're investing and in teaching these children who God is. You're investing in eternal souls as you do it, and you're, you're investing in training up the next generation in the church as you do it. So, so, so don't think of, of, of training up the next generation and passing on the faith as a small and insignificant part of, of the work that, that we do as a church. Um, a day is coming. We're not going to be around to teach them anymore. So, so, so teach them everything you can while you can, even as, um, even as we see modeled for us um, with Abraham, even as we see Paul command his spiritual son, Timothy, uh, in 1 Timothy 6.20, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you uh, with a sense, guard it, keep it, protect it, and pass it on to the next, uh, the next leaders uh, in the church. This is what Abraham does. He protects and he passes on the promise to the coming generation. But then he dies. And so the question is, did it work? Will it hold? Will, will the covenant hold? Um, uh, he's passed on. This, this great patriarch, this great man of faith is dead. Is, is, it going to, uh, is the covenant going to continue? Um, and of course, yes. And that's the second, the second point we see here. Uh, depend on the blessing of God. Depend on the blessing of God. Verses 7 through 18. Uh, at age, age 175, Abraham dies. Um, Good old age, the text says. He was, he was an old man and full of years. Uh, a mark of God's blessing that he lived this long and, and rich life. Ishmael and Isaac come together um, uh, to, to, to bury him. They put aside the differences for a little while. Um, and they come together to bury him. They bury him in the cave of Machpelah. Uh, remember, that's where Sarah was buried. It's the place that Abraham purchased as the down payment of the inheritance uh, that is to come. It's the only bit of real estate in this whole promised land that they own, uh, but it's theirs. And it's a promise of, of what's, what's coming. Uh, and, uh, and it's not only a promise of the temporal, uh, typical promised land there in, 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 uh, in Canaan, but it's a promise of the heavenly promised land. Uh, it's a down payment. It's a guarantee of, of what's coming in that respect. And um, even as he's buried there, he's buried in faith uh, that he is the one that, that God is the God of the living, um, and that one day that cave will be opened, and Abraham and Sarah and all the rest will come out, made alive by the command of Christ, and come into the new heavens and new earth. Abraham's buried, but um, verse eleven tells us that after Abraham's death, God blesses Isaac, his son. 
Uh, so it was Abraham's responsibility, wasn't it, to make sure his son was ready and, and pass on the faith to his son and protect the line of promise from threats. But now it becomes clear in verse 11 that, well, it never really depended on Abraham. Yes, it was his calling to do that, but verse 11 makes clear that, that it's, the, it's, it's God who blesses Isaac. It's, it's the Lord who, who comes in, and, and now he takes all those blessings that he'd given to Abraham and he, 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 he uh, passes them on to Isaac. Uh, all those promises about the land and the nation and, and the descendants and, and the, the good inheritance and being a blessing to the whole earth is all, is all passed on to Isaac. The Lord blesses him. In contrast with, with this, we get Ishmael. There's a sense in which Ishmael is blessed. Um, we see all his descendants, 12 sons who become 12 tribes, setting up, right, uh, Jacob, his 12 sons later on in Genesis. But... Um, we get this description of all of all his sons um, in fulfillment of God's promise that he would be numerous as well um, for Abraham's sake. But but then as the description of Ishmael's descendants ends in verse 18, we get this rather ambiguous statement. Uh, the, the Hebrew can be read a couple of different ways. One, one is the way it is here in the New King James in verse 18. Um, uh, which, which says that uh, he dies in the presence, Ishmael dies in the presence of his brethren. Uh, but you can also, there's another way to, to read the Hebrew there, which uh, other translations take, which is that he settles over against all his brethren. Um, and I think that's the, probably the, the, the better way to take that verse, especially because back in Genesis chapter uh, 16, verse 12, this prophecy is said about Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Very similar language to what's being said here about him settling over against all his brethren. So the text is setting up this conflict. Ishmael and his descendants are becoming the enemies of God's people. They might have had their roots in Abraham, but they're joining the, the, the line of the, the, the seed of the serpent, struggling against the covenant people of God. They're numerous and they're powerful. Um, and, and by contrast, there's just Isaac and Rebekah, and she's barren. Um, no children yet. It looks like all the blessings on Ishmael. What, what's happening? What's God doing here? Um, he's, God is working according to his wisdom. Uh, that's what he's doing. And that's not what human wisdom would, ex- would, would expect. And so what we're left with in this, in this section of the account here is, is this anchor, right? God, verse 11 says God passes the blessing on to Isaac. But then we get this description of Ishmael's great blessings. Um, so, but the anchor here, the Lord is the one who blesses Isaac. The Lord is the one who preserves his covenant by his sovereign power and his blessing of his people. He's the one who preserves his people, his church, generation to generation. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we wait in quiet faith. This is the third lesson for us here. Wait in quiet faith, verses 19 through 26. Um, wait, wait in quiet faith. The, the text now turns from looking at uh, Ishmael's genealogy uh, back, back to Isaac. We're told here that Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40 years old. Um, but despite all the promises, uh, there's no children. Um, 
Rebekah is barren, just like with Abraham and Sarah. Right? God is teaching Rebekah and Isaac that the covenant will not be advanced by, by natural means, by, by man's strength or man's will, but only by the gracious power of God. But it's wonderful here to, to read about this. We know, uh, we see this wonderful faith in Isaac. Um, he knows this story, right? I mean, he grew up hearing this story. Isaac, we are promised you. And we waited for you for, for year after year after year. Uh, and we doubted, but the Lord proved true. And so here, as we look at Isaac, um, uh, he, he, he prays. He pleads on behalf of his wife, prays the promises of God back to him. Verse 22 tells us the Lord hears his prayer. Uh, wonderful dis- display of his faith. Now, the, the, way, the way we first read the text, it sounds as if um, they're barren, Isaac prays, and boom, there's a, there's a pregnancy. Um, but then as you, as you read on in the, in the chapter, you see, you look at the end of verse 26, it says, Isaac was 60 when, I, uh, when, when, his, when his sons were born. All right, so he's 40 when he marries Rebecca, and they're barren, and he starts praying. And he's 60 when the, the, the twins are born. 20 years Waiting, praying, trusting. And, and, and we're not told anything else about them in those 20 years. There's something wonderful about that. Right? Just, they, they lived lives of quiet trust. They didn't try to do the let's get a concubine and get an heir that way like Abraham did. Right? Just quietly trusting in the Lord for those 20 years. Have you prayed and waited for something for 20 years? Um, if you have, you're in good company. Uh, keep going. Keep waiting. Keep praying and trusting. Um, if the Lord has made a promise, he will, he will keep that promise. Um, he may delay, it seems, to you. And you might not know why he delays, but he is the Lord, so keep waiting on him. Keep trusting him. Um, we get, so, we, get, we get so impatient, we get anxious, we try to solve it on our own. Um, or we get cynical and we give up on the whole thing. Um, and say, I'm not going to bother praying anymore. It's not going to work. But look at, look at the patient faith and trust of, of Isaac and Rebekah here and keep, keep waiting, waiting on the Lord. The Lord fulfills his promise, doesn't he, to Isaac and Rebekah? We see this in verse 21. He, he hears Isaac's prayer and... Um, uh, and and the, the, the way the text tells it to us is just wonderful, right? Because there's this immediacy between the prayer and the response of the Lord, even though there were 20 years. In, in a sense, it's also immediate um, that the Lord is responding to Isaac um, in his perfect timing. Uh, the Lord hears, and then he answers, and he says yes, and, and uh, Rebecca conceives. Um, but not one child, uh, now, now two. Um, double blessing, Right? Uh, the Lord, the Lord richly blessing Abraham and I, uh, uh, excuse me, Isaac and Rebecca. Um, they get they get twins, two boys. Uh, the boys couldn't be more different. Esau, red and hairy. Uh, I've never never seen a boy like that born. Uh, red and hairy all over. He's described almost as like this animal. Uh, it's interesting here. And then on the other hand, Jacob, right, pale, no hair, coming out grabbing his brother's uh, heel. Um, and Isaac and Rebecca are just rejoicing in, in what God has has given them. Um, and we see this wonderful demonstration here of how the Lord keeps his promise, how he gives what he promises. Uh, he won't hold, withhold back any good from his people. 
Uh, so keep waiting and keep trusting in Him. He knows best, and He will work according to His to His grace. And that brings us to our final point, which is to trust the sovereign God of grace. Verses twenty-seven through thirty-four. Trust the sovereign God of grace. Up up to this point, thing, things are going are going well, aren't they? Uh, they've had these children. God's people are staying faithful. God's answering prayer. The covenant family is finally growing. There's signs of life and and hope. But then, uh, then things start to go wrong. Um, as Isaac and Rebecca move into this new season of their walk with the Lord, new challenges come up, and it starts to expose problems and gaps. And uh, they, they, as the boys here, J- Jacob and Esau, grow up, we see these significant problems exposed. Uh, those differences at birth keep, keep, keep on going. Uh, they grow up to be very different. Esau is a man's man, right? He's out there hunting. He's out there in the field. He's out there working. Um, uh, simple, free life. One commentator calls him the original redneck um, because he was red. And, and uh, uh, so he's, he's sort of the original redneck, right? Um, and and as he wins his dad's favoritism. Um, his dad enjoys the food, enjoys the game he catches. Um, Jacob, on the other hand, a quieter perhaps, gentler, stay-at-home type, um, spends his days tagging along with mom, uh, helping out around the tents, and, and she become, uh, he becomes um, uh, her, her favorite. Right? You can imagine the, the, the tensions this would be causing in the family and the way that, um, that, that there's this wedge opening up between Isaac and Rebecca um, and the, the way that um, right, the way Isaac is, 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 is failing here in his, in his fatherhood as he favors one over the other. And, and they received a promise that the older is going to serve the younger, that Jacob's going to get the inheritance. And yet Isaac seems to be stubbornly kind of holding on to, to having Esau get the inheritance. He's favoring, he's favoring him. And so sin starts to come into the family. And, and unbelief and, and a determination to do it my way um, come, comes in to the family. And so you can, the, 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 the atmosphere in their tents starts to be one of manipulation and a power struggle and, and jealousy rather than kindness and humility under the covenant of grace. Um, and we're going to see this bear poisonous fruit in them and then even more in, in their descendants among Jacob's children. Well, we'll see this kind of all blow up. And it's all beginning here as the parents play favorites with their children. And then the situation gets worse here. Um, the last section of the chapter, we're told that Esau is out hunting, or he is, as he's out in the field, and he comes back. Um, he's probably been doing some, some, some hard physical work. He's been out in the open air all day. He comes into the tent with an appetite like you only get when you've been out working all day. Um, and, uh, and, and there's Jacob cooking this, this lentil stew. Um, now, let's, let's hit pause on the story. What should happen next? If this is a normal, happy, you know, good relationship, a, a good and functional family, what, what should happen next? Um, um, Esau says, you know, brother, uh, that soup smells great. You, you do a great job with that stew. You mind if I have some? I'm starving. It's been a long day. Um, and, and then Jacob would say, ah, yeah, of course. Pull up, a, pull up a chair, man. Sit down. Uh, how how'd things go today out there? Um, right? If only it happened that way. But it doesn't. Um, instead... Esau asks for the stew, and Jacob sets his price. Uh, well, sure, just, just give me the birthright, brother. Um, I, Jacob's bold move. Uh, he's asking Esau to give up so much, right? G- 
give me the inheritance. Give me, I'll, I'll, I'll be the next patriarch. I'll be the next head of the household. I'll, I'll be the one through whom God's blessings to this family are going to flow. Um, just, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the price for a bowl of stew. Um, but, but Jacob knows his brother. Uh, he's been eyeing this birthright. He wants this. He knows that, that what matters to his brother is not some far-off thing, right? But, but what's here and now. Instant gratification. His stomach. That, that's what matters to Esau. Jacob knows this. And so Esau says in verse 32, Look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? He's not about to die. He's, this is, you get, the, kid get home, the kids get home from school. Mom, I'm starving. I'm going to die if I don't get a snack right now. Kind of thing, right? You're, you're going to be fine, Esau. But no, he's hungry. He wants it. He wants it right now. He's acting like a child. Um, all that matters to Esau is, is what's here, what's right now, physical need and physical gratification, no interest in, in spiritual things. Verse 34 says he despises his birthright. He doesn't see any value in the blessing of God. He, uh, he's a warning to us. Don't, 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 be, don't be like Esau. Uh, don't 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 uh, lust after the things of earth and live for instant gratification. But right? he's not living by faith. He's not he's not he lives by bread alone. That's it. Um, don't don't be like that. Don't be ruled by your appetites. Keep your eyes up on on, on the inheritance that is to come. But but Jacob Jacob's not much better, is he? Um, uh, in fact, he might be worse. He, he values the birthright. He wants the inheritance, but. He doesn't want it because he wants it for the glory of God. He, just, he, he wants it because he wants to be in control. He wants to be in charge. He's scheming here to how to manipulate this situation. And, and, and uh, so, so he, he's valuing the birthright, but not for the right reasons. He's serving himself. Promises of God are something to serve himself, his own ends. Uh, so he makes his brother swear an oath to give him the rights of the firstborn son. So that, that's how we come to the end of this, this chapter, chapter 25. Um, selfish people in a dysfunctional family. Um, what happened to the promise of God? The promise to bless them, the, 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 you know, the, the, the covenant of grace. Um, this, this family came from Abraham, right? that great man of faith who walked so faithfully with the Lord for so many years, but, but now sin has come in, unbeliefs come in, it's, it's tearing this family apart. Uh, the, no one looks like they're, they're walking faithfully before the Lord. They're all just trying to manipulate things for their own ends, and it looks like it's all just going to fizzle out, this, this covenant of grace project. No savior that comes from them, no blessing of the nations, just one more sinful family breaking down. Um, but once again, what we see here is that the covenant of grace does not depend on us. It didn't depend on them. It depends on, on the Lord, on his sovereign grace, on his power, on his graciousness. And even though at the end of chapter 5, it looks like everything is set up to implode on this family, and it's going to, really. It's going to get worse. But, but, but through it all, the confidence that we have is that God is at work here. Right, he hasn't abandoned them to their own devices. He's at work. He's working through these things. He's working even in their sin here. And nothing is going to thwart his purpose. We get that promise that he makes to Rebecca there in the text. Uh, that, that, uh, that one of the sons, the younger son, is going to, serve, uh, is going to rule over the older uh, son. That the younger son will be the chosen line of promise. It's going to continue. It's going to flourish. 
Um, and, and, and this story is showing us there's nothing in Jacob that, that recommends him for this, right? It's just the grace of God. It's, it's his choice. Jacob didn't deserve to be, uh, to be chosen by the Lord. He's equally sinful, uh, perhaps more sinful even than his brother. But God chooses him to show that the Lord likes to reverse things. He chooses the younger. He chooses the weaker. He chooses the lesser to accomplish his purpose and, and to show that all of it is by his sovereign grace. All of it. This whole covenant, all of it depends on his sovereign grace. We read this uh, about this situation in Romans chapter 9. We read this earlier. Uh, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. This is how the covenant works. Always. This is how God's grace works. Always. In us. It's, 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 it's on him. It, it's it's by, by him. You didn't have a, a good spiritual aptitude test that you took. And he said, I'll choose that one. Right? It's, it's his sovereign grace coming to you, a dead sinner. You. Calling you to himself. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the only reason you know him. And trust Him and love Him. He chose you. From before the foundation of the world, before you did anything good or bad, He set His love on you. He chose you. In Christ. He chooses Christ from before the foundation of the world. Also, Paul is describing there in Ephesians 1, Christ is the elect, the chosen one, uh, the Son of promise, chosen. Um, the one who would come, uh, the one who would deserve all the love he received, the one who was an obedient and faithful son. Um, it's wonderful to look at our Lord Jesus Christ in contrast with, 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 with Jacob. Right? Jacob uh, here, chosen by God despite his sin, but our Lord Jesus Christ, chosen, the great elect one, uh, who doesn't grasp, try to get ahead, but humbles himself and comes down and takes on the form of a servant. He's, he's not ambitiously striving for his, for his own purposes. He's, he's striving for the purposes of God. Uh, he becomes the least. He becomes the servant. He says, the first shall be last. The last shall be first. I came not to be served, but to serve. Pay for the sins of Jacob's and Isaac's and Rebekah's um, and, and every other sinner who repents. Um, God looks... And he chooses Christ. And then in Christ, he chooses all his elect people. And he counts us in Christ and sets his loving choice on us in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, as we, as we come to a close this evening, we see that the, the whole edifice of the covenant of grace, all these promises, and, and the whole history of it, right? You can think of all the generation, generation after generation of this covenant. What is it all built on? What's the foundation supporting the whole thing? It's the infinitely deep bedrock of the sovereign God of grace, the grace of our Lord in Christ. 
Right? If, if you are in Christ, that foundation is under your whole life. That, that, picture that bedrock that just goes down and down and down forever. Unshakably firm. That's the sovereign grace of God under you. Always in this covenant. As Isaac missed his father when his father passed away, this is what was under him, sustaining him. As, um, as, uh, as Isaac and Rebekah's family was getting pulled apart on the surface you know, by their own actions, this is still underneath them, sustaining them. Um, this is the foundation that's under the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament of the whole church throughout all the ages. It's the foundation that's under our church. It goes down mile after mile after mile. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. It is God Himself and His sovereignty and His grace uh, for you. Nothing can shake it. Do you feel the weight of that? The, just the, the, the stability of that? Worship Him for that. Marvel at Him. Thank Him for that. Trust the sovereign God of grace. Let's pray. Lord, we would cast ourselves on You and rest in You, um, giving thanks for the sweetness and the sufficiency of all Your good promises. And Lord, marveling, humbled that You've chosen us by Your grace. Lord, we pray that You would keep us faithful, keep us trusting in You. Um, and Lord, continue Your promise and continue to sustain us as we wait for the fulfillment of all of them. In Christ our Savior. Amen.